especially now here in Atlanta, I feel like there are a million things that can divide us from each other. There's race, there's how much money we make, where we live, what the name of our city is, which politicians we support. One of the valuable ways that we can cross all those lines is through literature. It gives us something that we can imagine and interact with in solitude and then discuss together in community. And so we have a very exciting guest and I'm looking forward to talking with our friend, our anarchist friend, Megan Leach here at Atlanta <laughs> Vintage Books. Oh man. Hello. So uh, <laughs> Megan, it's great, great to have you here, although you spend a lot more time here than we do, but I'm going to say that anyway, because that's something you say. Um, when I, so when I first heard about you, I was getting together this b- book group to read uh, Infinite Jest. We called it Eschaton. And I was talking to Bob, the owner of Atlanta Vintage Books, about it. And he's like, oh, I know this girl uh, who might be interested, but she's at an anarchist convention. Then Bob, you know, uh, purses his lips in the way he does when he's about to tell a joke. And he says, (laughs) but they couldn't get together on where to meet. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) So anyway, but but then uh, uh, I think it was a few months later, um, they hired you to work here in the bookstore. And um, we we started talking about books then, and we haven't stopped since. So, Megan, it's Mm -hmm. good to have you here. I think you've uh, done a lot for the culture of the bookstore. And you've added something we want to talk about called the Radical Lit section downstairs. Yes. Really excited yes. to talk about that. But we want to start off with the basic question that this podcast is all about, which is what are you reading? Okay. Um, well, thank you for having me, for starters. Um, it's been so long, like at least one day um, <laughs> <laughs> since I've seen you last. Um, I'm always reading a couple things. I don't have TV at home, so I read books the way people flip channels. Um, but right now I'm reading, uh, let's see, I just finished a Dorothy Allison book, Cave Dweller. Really good. Uh, she's from South Georgia, and it's depressing as hell. But like, <laughs> also just incredibly and beautifully well-written. Um, yeah. I also am reading, this is an ongoing series, and probably pronouncing his name wrong because he's Norwegian, but um, Carl Ove Nosgaard. Oh, yeah. I'm up to book four out of seven, maybe, of his <laughs> life story. He's like a weird, like, if you braided Raymond Carver with Proust, like, you'd get hard. So he's like all of the best things from those two people. In wow. I don't know that I can imagine that. I'm trying yeah. really hard. Well, you just have to read it. Okay. Yeah, I've been, I've been told. I was like, I heard about, I, you hear about the Nausgaard series and Elena Ferrante's novels side by side. Yeah. But I looked at them and Ferrante's, the total page count was a little shorter. So I went yeah. with just those. Just a smidge. But... Like, I think all of her books would fit into maybe one of it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. And then, um, let's see, one other thing. Um, part of my IWW reading group for the Radical Lit is reading Caliban and the Witch, which is about like women's bodies and like capitalism on top of that and the whole history through time. So like a super long read. That could be like its own podcast series. Yeah. <laughs> so I won't get too into that, but it's really good. <laughs> okay. Um, those are probably my top three awesome. right now. Yeah. And if people want to, people who are listening want to see those listed out, we'll have them on our Goodreads page. Totally. Yeah. Um, Tim, what are you reading? Uh, man, I um, I just started a book, so I, I I don't I still don't know a ton about where it's going or what's going to happen. Um, but it's a book. While I was in uh, Paris a few months ago, no big deal. Um, <laughs> I stopped by a bookstore there, and I was like, you know, I've got to get a, a book here by a French author. And I was like, oh, I know I know Marguerite Duras, if I'm saying that name right. And so <laughs> let me just let me just see what we you know I've got a couple of books at home. Let me just see. 
And this book I grabbed solely based on the title. It's one of my favorite book titles I've ever seen. The title of this book is Destroy, She Said. And <laughs> I was one. locked <laughs> in. And so, and I, I'm like maybe 30, it's a 90 page book. It's super short, but it's, I'm about 30 pages in and very, um, very sparse, you yeah. know, a lot of dialogue. It's almost like a screenplay. Like it's very cinematic, not a ton of description. A lot of it's just through talking and it's about these uh, uh, women and two men at this hotel. They see someone else that they're really intrigued with and they're trying to get to know her better and things slowly <laughs> start to get a little more sultry and interesting and uh so uh it's been it's been a fun fun read so far but destroy she said i i i love that title. the only thing that title is missing is an exclamation mark at the end <laughs> yeah so uh so yeah so it's been a fun fun one so far i've been reading a book called bartleby and co by enrique villa matas and it's about uh it's a collection of footnotes by a fictional author um, to a book that's probably not going to get written. And the footnotes are all about different authors. I think some of them are made up, but mm-hmm. um, all about different authors who he calls artists of the know, which is ones who very purposefully decided to either not write or to stop writing. Um, so he talks about like Robert Walzer, um, J.D. Salinger, mm-hmm. who became a recluse and stopped publishing, um, Juan Rulfo, who's Pedro Paramo, sort of revolutionized Latin American literature, and then he didn't publish another book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's all all these artists of the know by, uh, uh, narrated by a narrator who is an artist of the know. I'm not sure it hasn't coalesced into anything great for me yet, but just a lot of really interesting insights and thoughts, uh, thoughts in that book about, about choosing not to write. Um, awesome. which is tempting if, like me, you're looking for any excuse not to write. <laughs> <laughs> but now, is, is he a prote- like, or a student, or I don't want to say, protege, a student of Borges? Because it sounds like something, it sounds like almost like Borges-esque, like not exactly, but it sounds somewhat, Yeah, I don't know, he's definitely in the, in the I, think, I think maybe anyone writing literature that's somewhat experimental yeah, coming out of, of Latin America has been affected by Borges but it, yeah, it yeah. feels different to me it has a different tone to it um nice. I I came across his work from uh a mention I think by Roberto Bolaño okay, um, oh, okay. and then the yeah. other book I'm currently reading is called Thus Bad Begins by Javier Marias which mm-hmm. is also uh I also found out about him from Bolaño so I had this Bolaño essay collection and I'm just kind of reading through ones that he he uh vouched for mm-hmm. oh. man that sounds really interesting yeah, check it out <laughs> on our well, Goodreads group. No, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to plug this too many times, but yeah. our Goodreads group. <laughs> we're gonna turn that into great reads. It's gonna be a. Uh, no, we're gonna make it great again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> well, Megan, um, speaking of making things great. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, I've really, I've really, both my son, who's mm-hmm. two, and I have found things in the radical lit section downstairs that were interesting, informative, you know, his, yeah. the, the book, uh, counting on community, which is yes. like a kid's a counting one. book. Um, mm-hmm. so what kind of inspired you to develop a radical lit section in this bookstore? Um, and has it gone the way you hoped it would? Yeah. Okay. Um, a, it's a two-parter there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can wait on the second part uh, until no, you're done no, with the first okay. one. <laughs> um, 
So, I mean, so I should start off by saying I've been coming to the store since I was a teenager, which was many moons ago. Um, <laughs> and the stuff that's in Radical it now, selfishly, is things that I like to read anyway. Um, and I'm, I was here for a while. I moved away. And when I moved back, I kind of was connecting back into Atlanta and was like, okay, where do I go to get the books I want to read? Mm-hmm. And I had a really hard time finding a lot of that Radical Literature stuff. Um, and so I started hanging out here a lot. I don't know anyone else who does that in this room, just you two. <laughs> um, I started hanging out here a lot, and um, kind of a confluence of events happened. Um, we got a super large collection in from two professors. Um, Eugene Genovese was one, and his wife Elizabeth. Um, and a lot of the, they they were definitely of a radical bend. Um, mm-hmm. Those books showed up, and I was here, and Bob just was like, hey, you like this stuff. You want to work here and go through these? And so I was like, pinch wow. me, my dream. Yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. like, you want to pay me to do what I love? Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's how I ended up like officially working here. Yeah, so it was and, right from the beginning. Yeah, wow. and I Whoa, mean, I there no was idea. no radical lit section. We were mm-hmm. just processing those books, and the more I went through them, the more material I saw in that. I said, you know, hey – if I agree to clean out like the dank corner of the basement and turn it into a livable space, like, can we set up a section for this stuff and expand it? Cause like, wow, this should have its own subject. I didn't want it. And I mean, that's it too. I mean, it's ugh, talk about how hard it is to categorize books. You don't even know. Yeah. Think about any book you're reading and how many things are in that and then try and pick a shelf for it. Yeah, And right. yeah. that's our struggle here. It's a daily struggle. But yeah. I was like, this stuff, could get really easily lost spread out throughout the store. Not that it doesn't apply to other sections, but I thought like the common thread in this, the idea for Radical Lit, it deserves kind of its own space. So people can come to it there, see that, and then see how it laces through all of these other subjects. Like that's what I wanted the experience to be for folks kind of engaging in that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I have to say, it's been one of those where like, I I feel like I hit a lot of spots in the bookstore, but every trip I always have to make at least one stop in the radical it just to go through like <laughs> anywhere else i can hit others here and there it doesn't really matter but that's the one i feel like i have to go by like i just love walking and just looking through that section it's so much fun yeah yeah so you. how how would you describe <laughs> the content because i know there's a range of things down there yeah sure that's that's a really good question um <laughs> so i will say the word radical and also the word anarchism which i'm sure we'll get to later yeah get typecast like Mm -hmm. generally pretty negatively yeah yeah (laughs) like some kind of far off crazy idea um lots of fire yeah chaos in the streets you know (laughs) pitchforks yeah yeah. (laughs) we're nuts and uh (laughs) no i i wanted to show folks that things that might be radical in that sense are really just opening your mind to new ideas new theories I mean, I always say i don't believe any one person or any one theory has the answer for everyone like that's just not how things work but um <laughs> i wanted the radical lit section to be an opportunity for you to be able to approach and better understand a lot of those terms mm-hmm. and and concepts that get very like negatively represented yeah. um and so down there we've got a lot of a lot of the isms we've got you know marxism communism socialism anarchism all of that kind of stuff um there are other other things. Um, radical feminism is a topic mm-hmm. down there. Um, a lot of crossover with women's studies there, obviously. Um, I like to do an alternative history section, not in terms of like, it's not true, but like, I guess my history section in there is 
direct source material. It's not it's not once removed historian writing about this. It's got to be a first person account from an mm-hmm. area that yeah. might be affected because I think the more lenses you go through and we're all our own lens as we read stuff, but the yeah. more lenses you go through, the more that information is shifted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's super important to be able to take, to, to be able to have the opportunity to see and read a firsthand account of something. Yeah. Um, so those all tie into, um, what else do I have down there? Um, I've got a bunch of really great pamphlets. Some are more yeah. humorous than others. We've got like, <laughs> How to Be a Good Communist is a big seller. <laughs> a lot of them are um, a bit dated. They're Well, they're from the 50s primarily, and it was part of that big collection we'd originally mm-hmm. gotten in. But yeah. a lot of fantastic like theory and philosophical source material yeah. in those. Yeah. Um, and then also like zines. And yeah. that's that's a whole other can of worms. Which, cause... Yeah. yeah, we wanted to highlight for sure. Like what, first of all, what are zines? And then also how do they fit inside a radical lit? What is what? Right. What is that? What is their purpose? Okay, um, so zines are, golly, they can be anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, and a lot of people will say pamphlets too. So I think that kind of falls into the overall category of zines. But they're, the the thing is, they're self-produced, self-published, um, like mini books, kind of like a magazine, just like the name would suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can be on anything from what we might, might consider political, although not bipartisan mm-hmm. political, not not Democrat, not Republican, more just like politicized issues, I would say, of our time. Yeah. Okay. Um, personal zines can be personal opinions about that. They can be um, DIY guides to different things. I mean, yeah. you can get a zine on anything, and a lot of folks are doing it almost like the style of an online blog or something, but in a, in a hard paper format, just bringing mm. that... Um, kind of more tangible in your hands experience back to like personal thoughts. I mean, so some of the zines down there, we have one on cats, like yeah. <laughs> cats. <laughs> how to teach your cats about abstinence is a really great yeah. zine. Um, can't push that enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also we'll have them on like Joe Hill, the IWW leader, or, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it can be a real bevy of things. Yeah. Um, there's a really great one called on fighting the big sad, which is kind of about like, personal experiences and anecdotes with depression and that kind of stuff. Mm. And I mean, getting slightly off topic with the zines, books, zines, everything in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of like what you were saying at the beginning of this, I think not only are they able to cross over into different areas, but they have an ability for somebody to take on a new idea in a very mm-hmm. safe space in a very safe way, because you have an opportunity to process a new idea to you without feeling like, anybody is pressuring you to have a response or whatever. They give you a really incredible opportunity to think something through on your own, process it, and then you go out to the community and are able to to talk about it and connect with people on something new. So I think zines are a really good way of bridging that. So is a lot of the radical lit, radical theory. Um, Yeah. I think uh, one of our first substantial conversations was uh, I had heard that you were an anarchist and yeah. um and there's more of us than you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and uh we work from so so my wife and i are part of sort of the christian community development movement right. which those two like on the surface you wouldn't assume any overlap between anarchism and christian community development Tolstoy. but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but we moved into the we we moved into the neighborhood and our our method was very much like listen to the neighborhood find what's there Mm -hmm. find what problems are important to them to address and what 
resources they have to bring to those and then be and then as part of the neighborhood work on solutions together or improvements yeah. together and um i guess until we sat down and talked about it i didn't know how close like even if like anarchism is an overarching political theory i haven't gotten that far yet but uh there's a lot i respect about it and i actually visit the section for like when there was gun violence in our neighborhood, I was like, what do they say about it? Because uh, we live with a lot of undocumented immigrants. We need extra government community-based solutions. Mm -hmm. So I did find a lot of like surprising uh, connection yeah. Yeah. between like even across ideologies, um, a lot of surprising connection in methodology, things we care about, things that are important mm -hmm. to us. And I think like, um, I think like if there hadn't been, a radical lit section if you hadn't been working here i wouldn't have realized that there's this whole body of thought that's really helpful and constructive and community-based yeah. um but i never would have gone like i never would have said oh i need to check out anarchism as a solution to this yeah, problem I'm no. yeah and i think Same it's back. interesting too so to me we have so many words that in their own ways are coloring in like at its core like a code of ethics yeah. right so it's like Here's the code of ethics, and we're extrapolating on this through a different lens. And that lens is then anarchism or community-based um, efforts or, you know, religion or whatever you want to extrapolate it through to have it make sense, whatever fits for you. But, but at its core, it's that, it's that ethics base. And, mm. and that's, I mean, that's the most important thing. And you can take it from there in any direction. Yeah, yeah. But, um, one thing I will say about anarchism and also about the idea of radical lit is I wish it wasn't a radical concept. You know what I mean? Like my right. goal for the whole yeah. section, my goal for the whole <laughs> oh, thing wow. is to just have all of these things be so commonplace. So every day mm -hmm. that you don't have to use an adjective like radical to describe yeah. them. Like, wow, you're thinking about others. Yeah. How radical is that? Or like, yeah. wow, mm -hmm. you decided to go out in your community and support a local business instead of like buying something on Amazon prime. How radical is that? <laughs> or, yeah. or, listening to somebody else how radical is that to really listen though yeah. not to be thinking of your next comment but to mm -hmm. just be yeah present yeah, yeah maybe we could just reserve the use of the word radical for like skateboard tricks yeah. <laughs> radical dude it's making a comeback teenage i think dope is making a comeback too yeah. i don't know teenage I'm not turtles him. and skateboards yeah those two i had this conversation it. online i think they're anarchists yeah, the yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> maybe <Yeah>. living in, <laughs> no. isn't cowabunga an anarchist slogan I don't know. <laughs> um, I was I had this conversation online. I was really surprised it actually went this way. But I said something to the extent of, "Hey, the most politically potent decision you get to make is where you live." Right? Yeah. Communicates. It says more and has a deeper impact than like who you support on Facebook or it communicates which lives mm -hmm. matter to you. All these things. And I was surprised. Mm -hmm. Like I guess how offensive and startling people found that idea and particularly the people who argued with me were were like you know white democrats mm -hmm. and i was like yeah that was surprising i'm not surprised <laughs> yeah <laughs> so an anarchist would be like yeah dude i'm telling you <laughs> welcome to my life every day <laughs> yeah there are these ideas that make a lot of far sense. left no i'm not left so just, just don't put me on your <laughs> scale <yeah>. please <laughs> Right, so there are ideas that seem like sensible to people in certain communities, like me living in mine. That seems like a really obvious idea. This is like 
inequality. A lot of this stuff is based on where people choose to live, um, uh, but can seem like radical ideas to people who haven't been exposed to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. And I would say that's how I felt about anarchism before I had any idea what it was. Yeah, yeah. Right? sure. Yeah. I thought it was like the t-shirts that skateboarders wore when I was in middle mm-hmm. school. Yeah. But. Well, so I should clarify, too, that anarchism is such a big umbrella for a lot of different folks. It has a lot of different meanings. There's different offshoots, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, to bring it into what I get out of it, my takeaway or my my even my introduction to it was a very individual anarchism over a political um and for me, it's deeply tied to the concept of autonomy, so mm. self-governing, but also um, the idea that you're responsible, you're taking self-responsibility for your actions, too. And if if that's the way that you interact with people and that's the ripple effect it creates, then you have essentially a self-governing governing community that you're creating. Um, and that's a really yeah. beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, hang on. Well, uh, one of our other... Um, things that we frequently talk about. You're a world traveler, yeah. right? Yes. I think you, a little bit. I don't. Yeah. I think Tim surpasses me in that. You're mm. like, I just got back from Burundi or some crazy <laughs> place, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I went to Kroger yesterday. I don't know. <laughs> but let's talk about let's talk about bookstores because the okay. thing that all yeah. three of us have in common, I know for a fact, is that we all three. Like, bookstores are one of the first things we look for when we land anywhere. It's a bookcation, <laughs> always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's like, uh, so, I think for me, like, I landed in Nepal, and we were immediately like, where in Kathmandu uh, can we get good books on Nepali history and mm-hmm. this kind of thing, when we ended up at Pilgrim's Bookstore. But I wanted to ask both Tim and Megan, yeah. what, are, what are some of your favorite bookstores that you've been to around the world, and can you give us a sense of what it feels like to be there? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Do you want Do you want to take that one I, first? I can go first <laughs> just because I've one that I've visited re- relatively recently in the last couple of months. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like whenever I go somewhere, I always make sure I have enough time. Wherever city I'm in, if – um, if I can, I that's like the first thing I look up. Like, how can I get there? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the easiest way? And and so the most recent trip we were on, we were um, able to be in Paris. And there's, of course, one of the more uh, popular bookstores there. It's called Shakespeare and Company. And um, it was just a... I've been there too. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and it's right by Notre Dame. And it, it's in a wonderful location right by... And it, it's got a little coffee shop too, a little cafe that's that's incredible. And um, it is just a fun book. I mean, it's just a, an, an incredible bookstore, and there's just so much there. And um, very, it's and it's very tight uh, quarters, very very small corridors. I mean, there's it's, it's shimmying involved. Yes, and it's <laughs> and you there might even I don't remember exactly. There might have been some ladders on wheels, which you know maybe. I mean, there's some tall shell. I mean, it was just a uh, you were just surrounded almost like here at AVB, but just smaller rooms, just surrounded by books. And um, the way they had the sections kind of listed off, it was exciting. And there was uh, just a lot going on there. And um, so there, that was a great place. And it was fun just kind of knowing, okay, so other people have been here, you know, like uh, I think Hemingway, James Joyce, like others have frequented this in the past. I mean, you know, just quite a while back. But it was, it's it's been a kind of an institution, I think, 1920, 19, be, 19 yeah. teens. 
it's been there for so it's long. Old. Yeah, it's so, well established. Yeah, <laughs> let's not age it. <laughs> and uh, so it's a it's a great that was that was one of those highlights for me that I really really excited to to check out. So it was it was wonderful. How about you, Megan? Okay, um, let's see. My last big trip for bookcationing was um, I did Spain and Ireland this past summer, and I gotta say Dublin is like everything you would hope for and more when it comes to books. <laughs> I went to like Atlanta Vintage Books Junior, which was, um, but full, but like the Irish Atlanta Vintage Books, I should say. Um, just like more James Joyce than you could shake a stick at. And also <laughs> Samuel Beckett, which I have a cat named after him. And yeah. he's, he's something yes. of an idol of mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and just being able to see like all of these bizarre, like early out of print, like magazine journals and things. So I spent, the whole day. I mean, I think they came down, sent someone down to like see if I was still alive in the basement because it had been at least six or seven hours. Oh. I was just lost. <laughs> um, and that was that was a pretty incredible space. And then um, also we did I did the full like southern half of Ireland and there was another little bookstore. It was a house on this by the sea. Just this one woman, she'd quit her job, moved out there, bought a house, filled it with books and just she didn't even so much sell them as like make sure that they found their way to the right people. So I walked in there and got a wow. stack and you know, you're just like in there and the windows are open and the breeze from the water is coming in and it's just beautiful green. They don't exaggerate. It's emerald green yeah. everywhere. <laughs> and you're just like, it's magical. Wow. And um, oh, man. just she would, she would be like, take this, take these books. Like, I'm so glad you found something. Go sit outside and read them. Like it was, huh. it was otherworldly. It was really incredible. Um, and then I was in, I was in Barcelona, which I guess like overlaps more with radical lit bookstores. But, uh, although I went to probably at least a dozen or so, (laughs) um, but they had a little kind of like info shop purely dedicated to radical literature and stuff there. And it was such a blast in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. Um, El Local was the name of that one. And it was Mm -hmm. just like, I think I was listening to like the Spanish version of Crass at full volume in there. So that was a little distracting, but like um, they had just so many cool things and a lot of local folks would make um, kind of like the zine stuff was all in there. And I think the only thing that stopped me from buying that whole store was that it was in Spanish and I'm like a super slow reader in Spanish. So I had to limit myself, but uh, that was a pretty incredible one too. Wow. Um, and then the most the most recent one I went to was not like far off distant land. I mean, I'm sorry, it was the far off distant land of Alabama. <laughs> you may have heard of it. Um, I was up in Birmingham at Jim Reed's books, and that's that's a pretty nice. that's a pretty cool space too. They have a whole wall of old uh, those old like post office mailboxes just jammed with like ephemera yeah. and all the stuff you can just dig through it. Yeah, at your leisure, and it's. It's pretty wonderful. Yeah. My first real exposure to indie bookstores was myopic books on Milwaukee Avenue in Chicago in Wicker Park, which used to be a very different neighborhood than it is mm-hmm. now. Um, but that was similar to things both of you have described where uh, they couldn't fit it all on two floors. So they built like a sub second floor and you kind of have <laughs> to like stand sideways to walk between some of the shelves. Oh, I like it. Um, but that was where I got, I, I actually started reading later in life. I think most people, Megan, you talked about earlier when we, the pre-interview talk about <laughs> how all the pictures of little Megan, you were holding books in all of them. Like before I could walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, My parents never put it together either. Until yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I read a lot and there were books in my family as a kid, but I sort of, I didn't read anything through high school. And 
Um, and through most of college, I was really focused on film, right? I was super interested mm-hmm. in movies. And, um, and then when I was 25 or something, I was like, I should read and I should read a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I just started. But myopic books was sort of like the bookstores I shop at have always been a huge influencer on what I end up reading. Um, it's the same here. This book uh, that I'm currently reading, Bartleby & Co., I found on the shelves here. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk to people who know books, it's it's like live community makes a huge difference in oh. how I read. So myopic books is sort of my reference point for indie bookstores. I've been to cooler ones since, but um, that was a real special one nice. for me. And I, every time I go back to Chicago. The first time always is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, <laughs> but every time I go back to Chicago, I check in that bookstore and it, and uh, you know sometimes I find what I'm looking for and sometimes yeah. I don't. But yeah, that oh, was man. the thing for me. Well, let's talk about your. So we've we've talked about sort of radical politics and and um and I think it's connected with that. But you also have an Instagram channel where you're yes. you're making my one art. technological can, yeah, skill I learned can, how to do yeah. this year. <laughs> I don't even know if we've mentioned this on the podcast in the past, but I don't I don't think we've ever said this, but Megan is actually the artist behind our profile picture, our cover art. She's done everything. Oh, yeah. We and should be saying that on every episode. Know, we we want to thank Megan. Yeah, for... I want my credit where credit is due. <laughs> I don't I, care. Because <laughs> uh, what? So in, in the making of this podcast, I knew, okay, we're probably going to need a little bit of music. You know, I had all the, the things we would need. And... You, uh, Megan, you're absolutely the first person I said, oh, we need some album art. We need some profile art. It's like, Megan, she's there. Like, this well, is, this you. makes it so much more personal. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was exactly what we wanted. I mean, it was, it was Actually, wonderful. I, yeah. meant, I meant to talk <laughs> about the YouTube channel, but I did want to talk about, like, the where you found the materials that you made, the logo for this podcast. That's a cool story. So can you talk Ooh. about that oh, a yeah. little bit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will not be going back there as I was directed <laughs> by the police officer who escorted me off the last time I was there. But um, the, the Atlanta prison farm, which is like just off of Moreland and Key Road, I want to say, um, it's like, well, it's just that. It used to be a prison farm. Um, and then it was like an unofficial dumping ground for the longest time. Um, and now I think the cops have reclaimed it to do some sort of drills or some some such thing. Um, a waste of beautiful land. And anyway, so, um, but one of the things that had gotten dumped on the property was this like super old marble library. I want to say early, I always get those centuries mixed up, but like early 20th century, if it's the early 1900s, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So old, think old, think marble, think like Greek names of Edgar Allan Poe and stuff chiseled wow. in. And you're walking in the woods and all of a sudden you will come upon just that, like a giant marble slab with Edgar Allan Poe on it stuck in the ground. And if you dig under the leaves a little bit, there are books. And so, I mean, I picked up many things from this yard because most of my artists just salvaged materials or things yeah. that were going to get thrown away. Um, but the stuff I used for the art for this mm-hmm. was those older books. Um, oh, my gosh. And, man, they were they were damp when I found them. I mean, they'd been in the ground for a little while. But um, wow. it was pretty incredible to just feel like you were excavating and you'd be like, oh, Shelley's Frankenstein. I just pulled it out of the leaves, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, it, it was a very bizarre, surreal experience. Wow. Oh, but um, I love that space. A good friend of mine and I would go walking there maybe once or twice a week and uh, pick up stuff with a bucket along the way every time. <laughs> so now you're no longer allowed to go. I, have, it's, I it's haven't been over private. there. It oh, was suggested man. that we leave in a serious way last time. So. Why wow. <laughs> people with weapons? <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I... 
I may be an anarchist, but I don't, I'm not looking to get shot, so <laughs> I left. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, anyways, but well, it was good while it lasted. Um, one space you can go and do that that you won't get in trouble is the Doll Head Trail is up yeah. there as well. Um, less trash there, though, but but yeah. also a nice, a nice stroll. Yeah. Wow. So you don't make money off of it, but you're obviously driven because your Instagram tunnel, uh, channel has a ton of... Yeah. ton of work on it it's megan leach art i only know three people on that and the rest are just like random strangers Whoa. from the yeah. web it's it's there weird are tons <laughs> of people i mean it is yeah. it's but it's gorgeous i mean it's incredible work it's, it's, yeah but what what kind of drives you to do it because yeah you're not making money i don't understand yeah. if one more person asked me <laughs> yeah, to make an etsy store <laughs> i will use a gun no i'm just kidding <laughs> um, no, we, you heard um, it here, folks. <laughs> well, so that's the idea, too. And I think of art the same way I think of like a community space. It's something I'm happy to share with folks. And if somebody likes something, I'll give it to them. But yeah. for me, I hate, I hate, hate, hate. And maybe this is anarchist, too, because it's very anti-capitalist. <laughs> I hate that when somebody sees a thing of beauty, they immediately want to attach a monetary value to it. So it's mm. like, that. I love that book. It's beautiful. How much does it cost? And I'm like... No, I will not answer that question. Wow. I refuse to do it for that reason. I won't sell wow. anything because I just refuse that the paradigm for, for beauty or enjoyment has to be money. Um, and I make all of these things because, did I mention I don't have TV or internet at my house? So I, <laughs> I craft a lot. I home yeah. craft a lot. No, um, no I mean, I, I make these things and I always have... Um, it's a really good way of processing things for me to be able yeah. to sit there and be doing something tactile with my hands and just work through whatever I'm thinking about, whether it's a book or a personal thing or, mm -hmm. or a community problem somebody has presented me with. Like I can sit yeah. there and just tangibly be doing something and create something out of my thoughts on it. Um, yeah. This is mostly done in like sweatpants in the middle of the night, but I, I do, <laughs> it's a regular thing. I pretty much every day I try and dedicate, even if I don't finish something or make something I like, I try and set aside some time for that. Um, yeah. Just like you should be doing for writing, Ian. I know. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah. but, um, and I don't know for me, the art stuff, I mean, it's really shifted directions, I think, a lot in the last few years. Like, you say collage, and people are like, oh, you make, like, cats in space. And I'm like, <laughs> not just in cats in space. They're very cute, but, like, yeah. um... We just want to be clear. We are not dissing that. Yeah, yes. I love them. The one yes. that's on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in space, particular <laughs> favorite of mine. But, um... But, no, so I got into surrealism, um, and I'm part of a surrealist group in Atlanta. Um, Peculiar Mormorids is our name. Okay. Um, can check that out too and um, awesome. it's a type of african fish in case you were like what is a mormorid um that's what it is so the surrealist philosophy is very similar in my mind to a lot of the radical stuff because mm -hmm. you're looking at the world around you and saying like how can i break the chain of events that i'm seeing in front of me or how can i push a thought to a different level whether it's a visual or an auditory situation you're you're kind of going into it and just like, how can I change the parameters of this space? And it's always pushing you. So wow. that's what I like about it. It never gets old. I don't make the same collage every time. I yeah. constantly try and use like different materials and just different stuff. Right now I'm using loofahs, so that's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> but texturally cool. <laughs> oh, I don't man. know. 
Well, we want to. I think we want to do the bonus question yes. of the day. I so we're gonna merge two formerly separate segments. Mm-hmm. We're we're just gonna bring it on. Stir everything up. We used to have the book of the week. Okay. And we had the bonus question. I'd like to ask you if there's one book you want to plug from the radical lit section. Ooh. If someone's going Ooh. down there, what's one book you could say? Oh. I know you're not supposed to play favorites, right? But. What's one book you would say, like, you got to look at, at least flip through when you're down there? Granny Made Me an Anarchist. I did not make that <laughs> title up. It is a book. It ties in the Spanish Civil War element. It's it's very funny. It's very, like, it's a very easy-paced, not-dense theory book, but kind of touches on the intersections of that theory in the everyday life. Um, okay. I'm terrible at remembering authors' names, yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's from AK Press, and it's, it's Granny Made Me an Anarchist. Anarchist. Okay, Check well, it out. if Tim yeah, and I don't definitely. buy it immediately following the recording of this podcast, hop yeah. down to a Radical Lit and mm-hmm. check that one out. Are there multiple copies? Or... No. No. Uh, we Run. We're going to race. <laughs> oh, and let me just plug in before these two forget. If you mention the podcast, you get 10% off here. That's and I great. work here, so if you're like scared about like approaching someone and asking for a discount, approach me. Yeah, I have a question. I'm uh, here. I don't know if we should ask this on the podcast because it might be an embarrassing answer. Has anybody done that yet? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. Yes, ask. one person that I was here for. So we're I'm famous. Sure it, I'm <laughs> sure it happened thousands of times in my absence. We're, I'm not here Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we're a success. Know. Okay, that's all we needed to know. Everybody loves us. That's perfect. No, that's it. Yeah, that one. That one fan. Yes. Man, it was me. I, well, I asked for it. <laughs> you did 10% you. off for yourself. How much I of your... I got a much better discount for working yeah. here. So How much of your paycheck goes back into the bookstore? I would say 75%. <laughs> easily. Oh, gosh. The, fir- awesome. the first book I ever got here was a signed Fahrenheit 451, and I was oh, a yeah. teenager, and... The owners let me buy it on layaway with my babysitting money back here. <laughs> the ha- like, Gosh, that's $20 towards the Bradbury. Like, that's, the, like, that's the generosity of, of Bob and Jane. That, that they're is, awesome. That, yeah. they're, they're amazing. Yeah. Man. Well, we want to thank Jane and Bob and the rest of the crew here at Atlanta yeah. Vintage Books for letting us do this podcast. This is... Uh, it's always a treasure. Like This is, yeah. this is a real special part of the week. Yeah, and particularly Megan. Megan, you've been a good yeah. friend and mm-hmm. a... Uh, like. Someone with whom Likewise. we could talk about community issues. <laughs> yeah. Someone who's inspired mm-hmm. us to think differently. But I feel like every time I talk to Ian and I'm like, hey, Ian, this book, whether it's Elena Fronte or you know, other art authors, I'm like, this is amazing. You know, Thank you so much for recommending. He's like, oh, Megan recommended it to me. I mean, I feel like that's a constant thread in our conversation. Like, oh, yeah, that was something <laughs> Megan recommended. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I just, I'm going to skip you, Ian, and I'm just going to talk to Megan from here. I'm just joking. I read a lot, <laughs> but, and then no. I, I disseminate <laughs> no, suggestions And I feel like there's, there's so much that I've gotten uh, from you for that. And it's just... It's, well, I'm and glad. The, and then our kids love you. Like, I feel like it's just all around, like, you're just love by everybody. I do, I do like giving rides on the book carts to all of your children. And they, <laughs> they try to do it without you sometimes. And I'm like, no, Megan's not here. That's my excuse. I'm too lazy to do it. Yeah. Like, it's Megan's too dangerous not here. Yeah. you don't have an adult to steer. <laughs> she, she's a worker here. Anyways. But thank you so much. This has yeah. been amazing. I guess I guess we'll just end with that. As always, you know, reach us at whatareyoureadingpodcast.com. Um, and there it's kind of our little hub where you can find us in other spots around around the web whether it be facebook or goodreads um, soundcloud you name it and just get in touch with us rate and review us on itunes um where we we always love love hearing getting feedback so 
bring it on. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to end like we normally do with uh, a quote. So Ian, take it away. Today's book quote comes from Enrique Villamatas in Bartleby and Co. It says, A well-crafted description, though it be obscene, has a moral ingredient, the will to tell the truth. The use of language simply for effect paradoxically constitutes an immoral act. It's very deep, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) And we're out. Do we have to sing a jingle or anything? Like, W-A-Y-R. Don't put that on there. I'm serious. (laughs)